Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're having a wonderful day. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. All I ask is that after listening to and or watching the video, if you find you enjoyed it, learned something, do me a favor, smash the like button, and please consider subscribing. And if you want to help me survive on these harsh YouTube streets, please consider a membership or a Patreon membership. I keep the price low at $1.99 because I know money is tight. With all that out of the way, let's get started. Today I'm going to take you on a journey back to Friday, July 18th of 2014. That is the day that Danny Markell was confronted in his garage by two strangers. It was 10.50 a.m. on Friday, July 18th of 2014. Jim and Sharon Geiger were sitting on a love seat in the living room of their house on Trescott Drive. From there, they could see the wide expanse of their lush green lawn. They were living in Benton Hills, Tallahassee, in the same neighborhood as law professor Danny Markell. The quarter is three miles northeast of the state capital. Now, seven years earlier, in November of 2007, the Geigers had been invited to a housewarming party for a newly arrived couple, Wendy Adelson and Danny Markell. Wendy and Danny had just moved into the house next door. When Jim and Sharon arrived at the front door of Wendy and Danny's home that night, they were surprised to see a heap of shoes on the front porch along with a box of hospital paper booties. People after my own heart, I am a neat freak. I became that way after living in France because when you walk down the sidewalk, and let's say it's fall, well, when people walk their dogs, they don't pick up the dog doo-doo. So you don't know what's under the leaves. Often, there's a pile of you-know-what hanging out under the leaves. I swear to God, I once watched my friend step on a pile of leaves and go sliding down the sidewalk because he managed to step on a pile of dog doo-doo. It was like he was skating on ice, I kid you not. But I digress. As Danny opened the door to greet the Geigers, he explained that they'd just purchased brand new oak floors, they were just installed, and they wanted to keep the floors from getting scratched. The party was the only time the neighbors would ever spend together. In the fall of 2009, Jim and Sharon noticed Wendy pushing a stroller. Danny and Wendy's son Benjamin had been born in July. Then, in late 2010, the stroller became a double-wide to accommodate baby number two, Lincoln. The young couple's bliss, however, would quickly evaporate because two years later, in September of 2012, the Geigers learned Wendy and Danny had separated. Thus, Wendy and Danny had only lived in the Trescott Drive house together for five years, enough time in which to have two children and for their marriage to crumble apart. Back to July 18th of 2014. It was a typical summer day in tally, as the locals call it. Jim Geiger had taken the day off to spend with his two granddaughters. Later that afternoon, Jim and Sharon and their grandbabies had plans to go to a movie. As Jim and Sharon sat on the love seat, they were looking at their computer doing a Google search on how to create email lists. As they were looking at the screen, they suddenly heard two loud popping noises. Pop! Pop! 
Jim got up, went to the front window. Out of the corner of his right eye, he caught sight of a light-colored car at the end of Danny Markell's driveway. The car quickly backed out, got onto the street, lurched forward, and sped toward Benton Road. As Jim watched all this, he got a sinking feeling in his gut. It seemed as though whoever was driving the car had maybe broken into Danny Markell's house and was now getting out of Dodge. Jim decided to walk over and check it out. Very brave man. I'll tell you right now, I'm a wimp. I would dial 911 and I would lock my front door and I would not come out. As he walked across his front yard, Jim noticed that Danny's garage door was up. When Jim got halfway up the driveway, he peered in. He saw Danny's black car was there, and its motor was running. Jim felt very relieved at this sight because it looked like Danny was about to back up. Not wanting to appear nosy, Jim quickly retreated and went home. After telling Sharon what he'd seen, Jim stood at the front window. He wanted to make sure that Danny did indeed back up. After five minutes passed, Jim was very concerned, and he told Sharon, Danny should have backed up by now. Something doesn't feel right. So Jim, ever the brave guy, goes back over to Danny's house. As he neared Danny's garage once again, Jim saw the garage door was still up, and the car was still running. This time, Jim entered the garage, and he walked up to the driver's side of the car. Within maybe a foot of the driver's side door, Jim felt and heard glass breaking below his feet. That's when he noticed the driver's side window was shattered. As he looked at the glass, he realized a bullet had gone through it. Jim thought, oh my God. That's when he realized Danny was slumped over the steering wheel and his head was coated in a thick layer of blood. Jim tried speaking to Danny but got no response. He could see Danny's head moving ever so slowly from side to side. Jim knew he needed to dial 911, but as he reached in his pocket, he remembered that he left his cell phone on the love seat at home. So Jim runs home and he dials 911. And it took what seemed like an eternity for paramedics to arrive. At 11.17, Jim finally saw a car approaching. It was a plain-closed investigator. Jim directed the guy to Danny's garage. Soon, Jim heard the investigator calling for an EMT. It took all that time, a solid 15 minutes, to get someone to finally agree to send medical help. Jim was incredibly frustrated. Soon, emergency personnel arrived to remove Danny from his car. They bandaged his head from the middle of his face to the back of his neck. Danny had an injury to one cheek and to his forehead. At 11.28, 40 minutes after Jim Geiger heard the two pops, the ambulance finally sped off. Now, Danny and Wendy's friends, Jeremy and Tracy Cohen, also lived across the street from Danny, about 15 houses farther from Benton Road than Danny. Jeremy and Tracy had actually moved to Trescott Drive when Danny and Wendy told them about the for sale sign in the yard five years earlier. The couples became friends at a Christmas party, which was ironic because they were all Jewish. Jeremy and Tracy had been frequent guests to Wendy and Danny's house for their Shabbat dinners. 
these meals that take place on Friday nights, and they usher in the Saturday Sabbath, a rest day. Tracy Cohen was at her office on the afternoon of July 18th when she received a text message from her sister. It said that there'd been a shooting on Trescott Drive. This concerned Tracy. She immediately texted Danny Markell to see if he knew anything about the incident. Now, that's the type of reaction you should have when you hear that there's been a shooting on the street that you live on. You may recall that Wendy Adelson testified that she drove by Trescott Drive that day and she saw the police tape, but she thought it was a fallen tree. So she just kept going about her business. She didn't bother texting her ex-husband to see if he was okay or to find out if the kids were okay. I mean, she knew they were at daycare, but still, you'd think she'd be concerned. Tracy Cohen arrived home on Trescott Drive around 4 p.m. that day. She then saw a police cruiser in Danny's driveway. So Tracy rolls down her window, and she asks the officer what happened. He said the occupant of the home was injured, but he couldn't share any more information. So once she gets inside her home, Tracy decides to call the Tallahassee Hospital, and she asked if a Dan Markell had been admitted and she found out he had. Tracy was told that Danny was in intensive care, but that was all the hospital would say. Early in the evening, Jeremy and Tracy Cohen learned how Dan had been injured. They were told by a friend who taught at Florida State University Law School, where Danny taught, and they found out that a limited number of friends would be allowed to see Danny. Jeremy immediately left for the hospital, and he arrived there around 10.30 p.m. Now, poor Jeremy had no clue how severe Danny's injuries were. So you can imagine how shocked he was when he entered Danny's hospital room, and he finds him attached to a ton of wires and tubes. Machines were beeping, and Danny was all by himself. A ventilator was breathing for him. His head was covered in that white gauze, and one of his eyes was visible, but it was swollen shut. Jeremy was absolutely jarred. At that point, he believed Danny would pull through. Jeremy starts talking to Danny, and he spent more than an hour with him. Just before midnight, Jeremy got up to go home, and as he did, he told Danny, We're going to do everything in our power to figure out who did this to you. He said he'd be back the next day. Tragically, an hour later, Danny died. His parents, Ruth and Phil, and his sister, Shelley, hadn't yet made it to Tallahassee, so they didn't get to say goodbye. I'm going to stop there. That's your first installment. I hope this gives you a better idea of how things unfolded at least from Jim and Sharon Geiger's viewpoint and from Jeremy and Tracy Cohen's viewpoint. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories.